0: All right, team, let me tell you about NewZest, clean plant-based nutrition products to meet the demands of modern life. And I'm super excited to announce that they are a sponsor of Wikipedia. With over a decade of experience and a presence in more than 20 countries worldwide, NewZest has emerged as a leader in providing innovative solutions for those seeking healthier and more sustainable choices. In a world where people are looking for clean labels, easily digestible ingredients, and allergen-free options, New delivers and totally has you covered. Clean Lean Protein is a plant-based protein powder and contains all nine essential amino acids. It encourages recovery, vitality, muscle repair, and growth, and helps you hit your protein requirements, which you know I am all about. One of my favorite products is their Good Green Vitality. It's the gold standard in multi It's designed to make complex nutrition simple. The Super Blend is carefully formulated to address all aspects of health. 75 ingredients working together to support everything from digestion, immunity and healthy aging to stress, energy and cognition in one daily serve. Grab yours today, guys, with a sweet 20% discount for being a listener of the show with the code Micopedia over at their website, and we will pop a link in the show notes for you to be able to do that. All right, now back to the show. Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Micopedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness and well-being and I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, it's Mickey here, you're listening to Wikipedia and this week on the podcast I speak to my good friend Anastasia Boulay about stepping on stage in her first bodybuilding competition. Rather than getting an experienced competitor's perspective on the training, the diet, and the preparation for peak week, we do a deep dive into these elements from a novice perspective, which just will throw up so many different things that you would not get from someone who has been in the sport for several years and is, like, super experienced. Anastasia and I discuss the motivation behind doing a show, what keeps her head in the game, and when motivation dips, what it feels like to really go to the well when deep in a calorie deficit, and some of the the behind the scenes information for what it is like to be on stage, judged solely on what you look like and how you show up. So this is a conversation about bodybuilding and the sport, but more than that, it's about training, diet and mindset. So it isn't just for those interested in physique sport, it really is interested for anyone who wants to know what it takes to get into the type of shape that you have to get into to sort of get on stage. And naturally, much more sustainable diet techniques come from the realm of bodybuilding. They're just sort of dialed down, if you like, for the general population. So this will just give you a glimpse as to what it takes to get on stage but you will still find some practical sort of tips in here as well for anyone who is interested in building a better body. Anastasia, in fact, is on stage this weekend, if you're listening to this when it comes out on Wednesday, uh, at World in Seattle, and I have a link as to how you can follow her over on Instagram at arcticfox.nz and um, show your support. That would be amazing. And all things considered, she's done exceptionally well in her Australian competition, coming third in Masters against a very stacked field of, of experienced competitors. So I cannot wait to see how she goes this weekend. Before we crack on into the interview, I would just like to remind you the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your favourite podcast listening platform. That increases the visibility of the podcast out there and amongst literally thousands of other podcasts, so more people get the opportunity to learn from the guests that I have on the show. For now though, please enjoy the conversation that I have with Anastasia Boulay. Anastasia, so good to chat to you this afternoon. I'm really excited to um, have this as an opportunity for people to hear your journey, such an overused term, but, you know, the path of you sort of into physique sport, like... I've chatted to our mutual friend, Eric, before, and we've chatted much more on the sort of science and his experience, which is super interesting, but I feel like what you've got to share is going to be really interesting for people because you're a newbie.
1: I am. I'm a total rookie and a newbie, and it's a nice place to be. I really like being a newbie in a new sport
0: yeah and you endeavor. And
1: you
0: endeavor. because I mean so can you just start by sharing well first what inspired you to take up bodybuilding is bodybuilding what you call it I often say it's physique sport and I just don't know which one do you which one what do you call it
1: bodybuilding is fine I think uh when I say to other people it's probably a little bit more familiar when you say physique sport people go what what does that mean Yeah, listen, I probably will take it back a little um, 20 years ago. (laughs) Uh, When I was in my 20s, I was, I I self-identified as a fit check. So I taught fitness classes. I was a fitness instructor, group fitness, and I was active. I was fit. I basically put myself through university and med school doing fitness. And um, things changed somewhat in my 30s, so I moved to New Zealand, Um, my focus shifted to more sort of outdoor pursuits, started doing mountain biking, did a bit of martial arts, um, a lot more sort of road biking, and left the commercial gym and uh, worked out mostly out of the home garage and with a focus on more sort of on strength and conditioning for the outdoor pursuits that I was doing and um, no kind of very structured program at the time, but really focusing on on squats, deadlift, presses, um a bit of accessory work. And as it happens, you kind of just start sliding a bit, and was kind of probably doing less and less and, you know, different focus as, as it is, things change in life. And uh, probably at that time was maybe training two to three times a week. Um, but, again, different focus. And then as I was gro- going sort of through my 30s, I started to become increasingly dissatisfied with my body composition. Again, going back to that self-identity as a fit um, fit woman, I just felt like, oh, things are changing a little bit, and I'm doing all of this riding, and I'm doing this thing that is supposed to be really good for me, which is strength training, and I just felt like my body composition wasn't reflecting that. So about a month before my 40th birthday, um, how cliche, <laughs> I embarked on a um, kind of a diet and, and and a different exercise program that was more targeted towards hypertrophy, which is really the first time that I really dug into that field and was really happy with how it went I did a 12-week intelligent dieting uh, informed uh, by work of people like Dr. Lane Norton and uh, the you're very familiar with him and um, a group called Renaissance Periodization so I kind of went through that process of Dieting and training differently, training more frequently, and was really, really happy with it. Increased body satisfaction. I lost seven kilos in 12 weeks. And interestingly, found that when I lost weight, I didn't carry as much muscle as I thought I did. So I was like, oh, okay, I actually probably want a little bit more. So I kind of got into the um, muscle. Gradually immerse myself into sort of a pursuit of muscle at that point and continue to educate more, educate myself more on how to build muscle and probably not doing three sets of five of squats twice a week. Great place in that, but probably not something that I, um that was maximizing my potential. and. At the same time, I think simultaneously, I felt like I needed a challenge from a point of view of my personal development. And that probably stemmed from the fact that I felt like I was getting a little bit too comfortable. Yeah. I was getting a little bit soft mentally. (laughs) And I needed something to really push myself and challenge myself. And people always talked about competing in bodybuilding as something that is really, really hard, that is, you know, the hardest thing that they've ever done. It's really going to challenge you mentally. You're going through a controlled starvation experiment. And, you know, it it attracted me to it. Um, uh, of all the things, I kind of thought, okay, well, this is going to combine my love for training, my kind of pursuit of um, muscle um, and at the same time tick a lot of boxes from the point of view of personal development and looking for hardship to a certain degree, I'm challenging myself and proving to myself that I can do hard things. And interestingly, I wasn't particularly witted to doing a show. Um, a show was just like I was just a thing that um, maybe I'm working towards, but I wanted to experience the process. So, yeah, about um, – A year ago, just over a year ago, I got in touch with the coach that I'm with. And we set up a plan and the plan was to compete in late 2023, which is now. And we've set out our year and um, yeah, I'll steam ahead. I became a bodybuilder at that moment.
0: (laughs) Do you know it's interesting the way you describe that, Anastasia, because I think a lot of people could probably relate to the idea of getting soft mentally and wanting a challenge like I obviously as an endurance athlete I speak to a lot of endurance athletes about a similar thing like they've reached this sort of peak in their career they've they're really happy in their family life they've got um, all of their sort of um, uh, everything's juggled really nicely but they feel a little bit a, not stale, but like they need something else, and so they embark on an Ironman, or a marathon, or an ultra marathon, or in your case, you know, a bodybuilding competition, which um, is no different, right? It's just it's another avenue with which you can sort of push yourself, and almost you've almost proven yourself in a lot of other areas, and it's just another way to sort of um, challenge yourself, I guess.
1: Oh, absolutely! I think the benefit. And we'll get into that a little bit more, but the benefit that it has given me mentally has been immense. And yeah, far from putting me off, the stories of difficulty were actually one of the major attractions to me because you kind of go, can I do this? They are saying it's really, really hard is that something that I can do? Is it, Can I do hard things? And I think when you prove to yourself that you can do hard things, you can take that confidence and that self-efficacy to other areas of your life. Um, so I think that's probably what has happened over the last year.
0: Yeah, and I will have to say, knowing your background, that's almost how you've lived your life for the last 20 years, like you've done hard things to get you to this next sort of phase of your life with regards to you putting yourself through university and med school and then um, uh, as a registrar and then moving to New Zealand, like you've almost, you've sort of done all of these sort of leaps and bounds and it's all seemed... Um I, for other people, I think like almost insurmountable, but I think you've just got a bit of that mental edge actually, which I don't think that other people can't have or don't have, but I think you more easily tap into it than a lot of people that I know.
1: maybe I felt I think this is where where I was mentally when I started this. I felt like I've lost that. I felt like I didn't have a goal and i am really attracted to the pursuit of a goal for the kind of self-improvement really trying to challenge myself and trying to reach some sort of potential never satisfied um never never happy but having fun trying <laughs>
0: So I think in terms of challenging, one of the first things you did, like people often sort of think about bodybuilding as leaning out and and cutting. But of course, one of the first things you did was bulk up and went on a deliberate sort of calorie surplus, building muscle, gaining weight, which I feel like a lot of women particularly would find really challenging, actually. Um, How did you find that, Anastasia? Like, was it Like, did you go in with your coach saying, "This is what I want to do"? What was it on his advice? Can we just talk a little bit about that phase?
1: It's funny because that's the bodybuilding portion of the the building portion of the bodybuilding that uh, I think people miss out on. Yes, as I said, when I first like completed my diet, my 40 year old woman, I want to feel better about myself diet and when I got to the stage where I was like oh yeah this is this is better I'm, I'm better to I'm, I'm closer to my self-identity as a as a fit woman, I was quite disappointed that I didn't carry as much muscle as I thought I would. so I already knew that I needed to go on a muscle building journey and I did it by myself for about a year. And um trying to kind of find the way to do it, finding avenues and education and you know watching videos and podcasts about how to best do it. But I think ultimately, I've found myself um struggling a little bit doing it by myself because you are doing something that most of us would think is the opposite of what we should be doing. You're trying to eat more and you're actually trying to gain scale weight. Um, so actually at the point that I reached out to Sam, I was a, I was um, on a two or three-month bulk and I remember talking to a friend about it going, I feel like I want to quit right now And I need somebody to hold my hand and tell me, no, you're on the right track. Keep going. So that was actually the moment when I contacted my coach and uh, kind of described to him what I've been doing. And he was like, yep, let's continue on with mass gain. I think bulking has a bit of a a different connotation to me and to other people. It just feels like, oh, my God, I get to eat whatever I want. Whereas the intelligent mass gain that you are trying to um, adhere to is very much a disciplined and very structured process. So we worked out a plan. Um, You need to be obviously training a lot because you want to provide the stimulus to the muscles. So we went through our kind of a a a training plan and a training program um, and implemented changes to the diet which allowed me to be in a surplus and uh, continue to gain weight. And I would check in with my coach every week. I take photos every week. I would take my weight daily and I would adhere to the target that he set out And we carried on for another 12 weeks. It was hard. There were so many things about it that were difficult. Number one, it's the seeing the scale weight go up, but also sometimes seeing it not go up, which was really frustrating, you would think that it's really easy to gain weight and, and it might be for some people, maybe it's just genetically me. I found I sit really, really um, closely to about sort of a 60 kilo mark and I have for many, many years and for me to go both up and down is actually quite difficult to get myself off that uh, settling point. So what I would find is that I would eat in surplus every day, um, adhering to those specific targets, and there would be one day that week where I'd be at work and I would skip a meal and I would just like, oh, I'm too full, I can't eat it at night, and I'd have no progress that week. And it also made me realize that, you know, people say, oh, I'll just overeat this one day, oh, my God, everything is lost. It is actually really difficult to consistently put on weight. Um, when you're eating healthy food, um so it it took me um three months to put on four kilos. And that was a, a pretty good um uh rate of gain. So I went from sixty kilos to sixty-four, and interestingly enough. At the end, like I've reached the 64 kilos and then we kind of buttoned off a little bit into maintenance and my weight just immediately went down because my body obviously wasn't used to being at that higher weight point. Um, But, yeah, listen, you kind of just need to know why you're doing it. I can understand why it's difficult, but I would remind myself that this is necessary for me to gain muscle. This is necessary for the goal at hand. And having a coach was the best thing at that point, because I didn't have to second guess myself. I didn't have to second guess the, the calories or the training program. My job was to execute. His job was to do the thinking. And I think that's also really important, even for somebody who's quite well educated and uh, trained for a very long time, like I knew you know everything that we were doing, I could definitely do that de- develop that plan myself and and follow it myself, although the following part probably would have been difficult at some point but having a person that I was accountable to made a big difference and once we reached the point that um, we were quite happy with we uh, did a little mini cut to um, reduce kind of the, the the fat accumulation that inevitably comes with the muscle and to clean that up a little bit over a period of eight weeks and then just went into maintenance until it was time to cut for the show,
0: yeah. And and it's, I mean, first, I so appreciate what you're saying about the coach, like because you then can almost take the emotion away from it in the in the decision making every day, and it actually frees up a lot of that mental space for you just to do, as you say, just to execute the plan that that you've got in place. Um, with your surplus, like I think it would be helpful if. You're able to sort of share potentially the the uh, numbers associated, just in terms of you know how many more calories did you have to eat in the surplus to actually gain. Uh, what is it 200 on average of like a kilo a month Uh, because I think some people think surplus and they're like I will just eat all of the things because I'm trying to gain but you keep you mentioned the intelligent sort of training method and I actually was wondering if that is in fact a method or you're just saying it's just an intelligent way to do things um so can you share some of the details Anastasia?
1: Yeah um my maintenance I guess it's hard with maintenance because it's never just the one number. It's a, it's a bit of a range, isn't it? And um, my maintenance is probably around 2,000 with my kind of average activity level. I'm a fairly small person. Um, uh, I'm 5'4", 163 centimetres, and I have a um, quite a small build and yeah at the time my maintenance was probably around 2000 and uh when we started I can't remember exactly I think we kind of started on 2000 and then got bumped up to like 2200 and then maybe like another another hundred calories um a few weeks later and then another hundred calories so very slow um kind of uh, increases in the surplus, and I think I topped out in my Veld at about twenty four, twenty five hundred calories per day. Um, and it sounds marvelous, but I found it really difficult. I actually don't have a big appetite, and um. You and I have discussed it many times. I'm not a volume eater. I don't like Mm -hmm. meals. I prefer sort of small snacks. Um, And I just don't like a sensation of a big meal. And... Yeah, it was really tough and I had to, you know, it's it's all fun and games to do this for a couple of days when you're, you know, on your weekend and you're having a lovely, you know, big dinner with your family. But when you have to do this day after day after day after day, you get to the point where you're just like, I just don't want to eat. I don't want food. And it becomes a little bit harder. So you start implementing some tricks in order to, um, kind of almost force yourself to keep eating a lot more liquid calories than I would normally have. Um, I would have um a sort of intra-workout carbs, uh which I normally wouldn't have for a training session. So, yeah, there was a few things that I had to kind of work through and work around. Um, but overall, the meals were... Fairly simple because I'm not a very fancy person when I eat. I like meat. I like veggies. Um, I probably had a bit more kind of fun foods like snacks and maybe some bread, maybe some, um, bagels and, uh, things like that. A lot more fruit, um, because that was just easy to get, um, kind of the carbohydrates hybrids and, Yeah, it still stayed. The the surplus primarily came from the carbohydrates because um, Mm. it was uh, geared towards really focusing on training performance, focusing on lifting. Um, Yeah, and then from sort of 24 to 25 pounds of calories when we were doing a mini-cut, we dropped it down to – initially 2,000 and then 1,600 just for a short period of time I wanted that 1,600 so badly like after being so full every day it was just such a relief to be in a deficit for a bit and I knew that it was going to be short and then after that we were kind of in maintaining at 2,000 to 2,200 um, which allowed me to kind of Uh, maximize gym performance and stay very active and maintain my weight at that kind of point at new level
0: yeah and I imagine that your training must have been great with the calorie surplus and then at maintenance like in terms of energy and and things like that
1: especially compared to what it's like to train now Uh, I fondly remember those days where I would go to the gym and I would progress on every lift, every training session. Those days are gone for now. I'm looking forward to getting them back.
0: Yeah. Now, Anastasia, before, because I really want to talk to you about your cut diet and just how you've sort of progressed that over the course of the last sort of 16, 18, 20 weeks. Um, But with regards to your training, what does it take to build the physique? Because I, you know, I I go into the gym, I do strength-based work, you know, for 45 minutes, three times a week, just because I enjoy it and I know that and I like it, and it's good for me. But like, what? how does your training as a physique athlete compare to, say, when you were just in the gym doing your squats and your deadlifts or in your home gym? And I know you mentioned that the volume has changed, but are there other techniques that Sam has sort of um, taught you to help build better muscles, I guess, for what you're trying to do? I
1: guess the training for hypertrophy, so muscle building, At kind of the pointy end is a little bit different from strength training. When we're doing strength training, we are focusing on lifting heavier weights every time. And we almost focus on making heavy weights feel easier. So we want to become more efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're doing bodybuilding style training, you kind of need to flip it the other way. You actually want lighter weights feel harder so you need to take the ego and chasing the numbers a little bit out of the equation um, and and really focus on sitting in with a discomfort. Um, Personally I find for me higher rep ranges work well Um, science tells us that there is a broad rep range that actually works for hypertrophy, anything between six and 30 repetition. For me personally, I find the sweet spot is actually between sort of 10 and 20 reps per set, depending on the exercise. And, um, and, and yeah, for hypertrophy, uh, up to a certain point, increasing volume is beneficial. So, yeah, three sets of five won't do it. So my average training session, I train five days a week. Um, This has not changed. It doesn't change whether I am bulking or maintaining or cutting. Um, The training basically remains very, very similar. I do upper, lower, upper, lower, upper foot. So I'm more focused on the upper body um, because I needed to build my upper body. I do five to six exercises per session and they would be sort of three to four sets of ten to twenty um, the variety is probably not where people would expect. Um, Once we find the exercises that work really well for me, um, we kind of just stick to it. The program Mm. hasn't changed all that much in a year to be honest with you. We've played around with some exercises that we had to take some out for um, kind of injury risk um, or the particular ones that didn't really work that well for me or made me too fatigued. Um, and the particular ones that we found that worked really, really well. Um, so we kind of really stuck to the same program and I think that's one of the major mistakes that people make. I find that when the new exercise is introduced, it takes me four to six weeks to really get the groove in it. I remember when mm-hmm. I first started doing hack squats, I've never done a hack squat in my entire life. Um and I am just like, Oh, this feels so awkward. And my knees don't like this. And what do I do with my back? And this feels like weird on the shoulders. But, um, it takes a few weeks to really get into the groove and then you can go, okay, no, completely doesn't work for me. Um, or sort of four weeks down the track you go, Oh, actually, yep. Yeah, perfect. That, that, feels great and then you can start building on it and start kind of slowly, gradually increasing your reps or increasing your weight or somehow getting the progressive overload which is the stimulus for muscle building.
0: Yeah. When you say it totally does. And I'm thinking about you talking about how a weight doesn't work for you. And are you thinking about being able to feel it the way that you should feel it, like in the places that you should, or just the that doesn't feel right? Um Yeah, it's probably
1: all of those. Um there are some exercises that you just connect with better. They feel nicer Mm -hmm. on your joints. Um, I think when you are my age um you kind of start becoming quite conscious of how this exercise feels on the joints I'm carrying a few injuries um my left shoulder is pretty stuffed uh, my back is always you know trying to go on the, you know the knees are not the knees of 22 year old and a stager so all of those things you've got to take into consideration and I do think that bodybuilding allows you to do that because there isn't a must do exercise any exercise can give you um kind of the stimulus for muscle building as long as you're doing it right um you've got good technique um, it's kind of programmed intelligently so I think Bodybuilding training has actually breathed a bit of new life into my training and made me really excited about training again because um, I didn't have to feel frustrated because I couldn't do back squats and you have to do back squats otherwise, or you have to do deadlifts, right? Like are you even a lifter if you don't deadlift? Uh, If you don't hit the particular number on your deadlift, so the fact that i could step away from exercises that didn't feel good and still make really good progress was awesome
0: i think that that's such a good point because often people that's the messages that we hear are things like you know are you really strong and functional if you can't do a deadlift properly or if you're not back squatting or what about that bench press whereas they're not necessarily You know, like there are, in some instances, they do carry like significant injury risk if you're not able to perform them properly or with the weight that you sort of feel like you should. So we're often told the message that, you know, these are the things that you need to be doing. Like, even though you're talking about it from a bodybuilding perspective, I'm interested to hear your perspective just in general health because you're really knowledgeable in this anyway. Like, would you say that's true of anyone who's in a gym just wanting to build muscle, that they can just find the type, as long as they're working the muscle in a certain way, they don't necessarily have to go and do a deadlift or yeah, like, do a hack squat or yeah. whatever.
1: I don't want to scare anybody off deadlift or squat. To- <laughs> no, no, I say
0: that because... That's me, though, as well, that's why yeah. I sort of hook into that, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: no, um, they are wonderful exercises. There are so many fantastic exercises, and yeah deadlifts are great, and you know they can be very functional and um replicate some of the things that we do on a daily basis, but they're also not for everyone and I don't think people should feel guilty or should feel like they're failing or they should feel ashamed or weak because they can't do this particular exercise that this particular influencer says is the must do. The only must do is moving your body, right? And, um, you know, what is your goal here? If your goal is a powerlifting competition, well, guess what? You're going to have to do a deadlift because that's part of your comp. If your goal is muscle building, Well, you probably don't need to do a deadlift, but you're going to do some sort of a hinge movement that will um, help you develop those areas um, of your back. Um, If your goal is general health, you have even more choices. You know, you might not want to do any, you know, barbell exercise at all. You might want to just you know go swim uh, or do yoga or you might want to you know lift kettlebells so I think there is more choices than people realize and if you feel that you have to do something because an influencer said so or the trainer said so um, that you hate it that's not going to work I think the most important thing for general health, and this is me more speaking as a doctor, I would much rather people did something that they enjoy that they can do consistently. And if doing CrossFit ticks all the boxes for you, amazing, congratulations. If you hate the idea of weights and you would much rather do something like Pilates or yoga, Um, then that's also better than just sitting on the couch right so yeah that's kind of my maybe not so popular opinion nowadays I do believe (laughs) in strength training (laughs) I I, I do think that it would be amazing if we could get everybody to strength train but let's not put the barriers up so high let's introduce people to activities that they're going to love and enjoy and then maybe there will be an opening somewhere there and they will you know pick up something in addition to that but um, let's lower the barriers and expectations so that we can become more inclusive.
0: Yeah nice I really like that. Um, you, um, It's interesting that you don't Necessarily want to change up your program too much, or you haven't had a lot of variety in your program. I think a lot of people would find that quite tough, just mentally, you know, like having to go in and do the same thing sort of day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. What kind of tips and tricks, Anastasia, do you sort of employ to keep you motivated in the gym at the time, or is it actually just your high, your, you've just got a high level of motivation anyway?
1: Oh, that's a really interesting question. I don't find adhering to the same program requires a lot of motivation for me. Um, The motivation frequently comes from increasing your weight or increasing your reps. So, yeah, if you're going in and you are doing three sets of bicep curls with five kg week after week after week after week that's going to become really boring. Um, the motivation comes actually from going okay today I'm going to add a repetition and I'm going to go I did 12 reps last time I'm going to do 13 today and I'm going to write it in my logbook and I go yay me Um, and I'm going to add another rep the following week and then hey I'm doing 15 reps now with a 5kg what if I just jump up to 6kg so I thrive on that I really thrive on that um, constant progress and you can't have weekly progress but you're working towards it And I think that's why um, it's quite important to have some sort of a record or some sort of a logbook that you can refer to because it's a little bit like um, progress photos, isn't it? You don't notice the changes week by week by week. But if you actually look back and go, oh, wow, I'm actually a lot stronger or, you know, I have changed a lot in the last few months. So from that point of view, I think motivation is – you got you gotta find it in the improvement and um loving improvement loving progress is such a great skill um and it's just kind of feeds on its own doesn't it It just provides the motivation um it's like a snowball effect the the, the, the more you progress, the more motivated you feel, and the more motivated you feel, the more you want to progress. So um, from that point of view, I don't find it, the training difficult. There are lots of aspects of bodybuilding that do feel hard, um, and this is probably more speaking of prep. So, for people who don't know, we use the word prep um, to describe the period of cutting. So, the diet for the show. So, you might be dieting at other parts of the year for other purposes, but when you've got your show and you're going, okay, now I have to die down for that show, we call that prep. And the goal of prep is to lean out to reduce your fat stores to um, a a minimum that suits the criteria of your particular division that you've entered Um, but also the goal of the prep is to keep as much muscle as possible so this is where the training comes in and I think to a lot of people's surprise, there is no difference in training. Like what built your muscle is what will keep your muscle um, during during the prep stage. Yeah, so there's a lot of things in prep that do require. Uh, kind of motivation and discipline and a bit of self-talk on a regular basis and this is because you are really digging into that hardship that I was mentioning initially and um, you realize that uh, a a lot of the bodybuilding um, is very much a mindset. Um, You are constantly negotiating with your mind and trying to negotiate with your body. The body doesn't want to do what we want it to do, right? The body doesn't want to get rid of its energy stores. The body um, doesn't need to keep all that muscle because muscle is expensive. Why, you know, you're not eating. Why would I keep this expensive tissue? So um, the body starts to downregulate some processes to um, kind of conserve energy. And we're basically fighting nature at that point. We're fighting that natural process and, uh, yeah, it becomes a pretty mental game.
0: So if we move to PrEP then Anastasia and particularly the diet side of things I think this is where people are super fascinated like what it takes to get as lean as you get when you get on stage you know and, and there's I don't know like I imagine that Someone who is more experienced will have an idea in their in their head about how low their scale weight might need to be in order to be sort of near that stage leanness. But of course, for you, this was your first rodeo, so I imagine there was a little bit of unknown there. So can we talk specifics around maybe how the diet was set up, but then also how you progressed week to week? Because, you know, it it wasn't necessarily a linear sort of drop for you over the course of your cut.
1: Yeah, um, you're right. You just don't know. And I think just looking at kind of my structure, I... Uh, guesstimated that I will probably be 53 to 54 kilos on stage so I started at 60 kg and I was like oh that doesn't seem like a lot um (laughs) famous last words (laughs) um I think we are so conditioned to hear how people lose weight and hear of big numbers. Yes, I three kilos in four weeks and, you know, a pound a week, uh, two pounds a week. Oh, people get disappointed when they don't lose, you know, five kilos in four weeks. Um, That wasn't my experience. (laughs) Um, I was quite – I mean I was reasonably lean when I started the process. So I didn't have a, a whole lot of weight to lose, but um, it, it was rather slow. Uh, so I was averaging about a kilo a month. and um, and this is to put into context for people. This is following the diet, daily hitting every muck macro daily certain amount of grams like weighing everything out by the gram having my food scales with me weighing myself every day five days of training per week hitting um a certain number of steps that i needed to hit and then you know, introduction of cardio eventually um, so it does feel a little bit frustrating initially And it certainly wasn't like I was losing 250 grams per week to total to a kilo a month. It would be like nothing, 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 spike up, um, back to nothing, a little bit down, and then I'd be like, oh, my God, Um, and then I'd have a big drop. And normally the big drop would come at around the time where I'd be like, should I be emailing Sam and asking him to lower my calories? Um, and, you know, he'd be like, hold. Um, you know that meme of Braveheart when he, like, holds his troops? Yes. I'd be like, hold. And I literally <laughs> would be like, oh, my God. And, you know, in the next few days I'd have a big drop. So um, really exercise in patience um, and just needed to almost take my mind off the weight and the final goal and just focus on hitting the, kind of ticking the boxes, hitting hitting the goals that I set out for every day rather than looking at the big goal. And this is where I think the trust comes in um, for the coach And I will tell you 100% if I didn't have a coach, I would have lowered
0: my calories lower probably six weeks ago. I feel like that coach piece must just be so important because he was obviously really confident that – the calorie drop he provided at the beginning of the cut was adequate and sufficient for you to drop weight because you'd spent so long at maintenance and you were so good at tracking that he, you know, he knew that the numbers worked, but your body just had to catch up with the numbers. Um, cause I can imagine that you're, that after, you know, four weeks and seeing nothing, you'd be like, okay, something's got to give, but he would be like, no. And I remember our text conversations about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think this is where it's very beneficial to
0: work with a coach in the um,
1: kind of the time, like in the off-season, we would say, um, because the coach gets to know your adherence and um, kind of the way that your body works as well. And they can also trust you because, You know, if you've just signed up with a coach and you've just gone straight into a diet and nothing happened in four weeks, you can understand that they might be questioning whether you're actually adhering to the diet, whereas Sam knew 100% that I was doing what was set out to do and he was just like, just wait, just wait for it to, to settle. And, of course, for us women, we need to remember that the menstrual cycle is such a huge player in our scale weight And I found um, I had about two spikes during my cycle. I always spiked um, right before my period, but I also had another spike in weight during ovulation for about two or three days, Mm -hmm. um, about halfway kind of through the um, uh, 30-day cycle. So, um, yeah, I had to really kind of sit in the discomfort of that um, and as I've mentioned before, we didn't actually change calories for quite a long time. Um, and this was also surprising to me because I thought, oh, we're going to get to that point where my body adapts and then we're going to drop again and then we're going to drop again and drop again. And the reality was we got to, so we started the, we started prep early April. And, um, nothing really changed uh on the day that we started prep um apart from the fact that I went from twenty two hundred calories to two thousand, so we dropped like two hundred calories, and I just kind of made some changes to um what I was eating and then about four weeks later, we dropped to sixteen hundred 1600, sixteen fifty um and we just stayed there for. May June July August so for four months and there were plenty of time in those four months when I was thinking oh my god maybe I need to go lower and um yeah and I didn't because I just kept dropping
0: and it was slow but it was consistent And you were taking progress shots every week. So despite the fact you weren't seeing anything on the scales, could you look back and see your physical progress? Um, Again, week by week it was
1: hard. But then I would look back four weeks ago and it was a huge difference. And it would be – it would, and it's a little bit difficult because uh, you get what they refer to as prep goggles because you just see yourself every day, and you kind of just get desensitized what you look like, and and you don't feel like anything is happening. Um, and you know, like everybody gets it. You get up in the morning and you're having a fat day. I mean, obviously, I'm not having that day but you know you just feel a little bit more bloated a little bit you know a little bit slower a little bit of fluid you know your ankles are a little bit puffy and you just feel like oh my god I'm having one of those days and they do happen in prep you know it doesn't matter how lean you are you still you still get those days um but looking back I'd almost have like a bit of a moment and I think I've Texted you at one point where I walked past my bathroom mirror and I just went like, and I had to take a picture <laughs> then and there because I was like, when did this happen? And um my girlfriend Jackie's like, it's been like that for the last four weeks. I'm like, I didn't notice because you just you just get used to yourself. So yeah, progress pictures were great um, to kind of look back, and I can definitely see sort of every four weeks there would be like a noticeable big difference. Um, to when I kind of got to mid August, and I was like, I think I might actually get there. I might actually look the part because for a long time you don't feel like you're going to look the part because you feel like oh my goodness you know eight weeks to stage it doesn't sound like there's a lot of time and I'm going to be coming out and showing my muscles and my muscles are still very much hidden.
0: And um, your calories like they dropped but what was your final sort of six weeks like so you went to 1650 and then there was a final sort of drop in calories to sort of get you to that peak week is that is that right have I got that right
1: yeah 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 so we uh about five or six weeks out um it was time for the final dig um and this is where you're kind of already quite leaning so your your body is Uh, really fighting um, against you for those final few kind of kilos. And we went down to 1,300 calories, something like that. Um, And this was comprised of 140 grams of protein and 100 grams of carbs and 40 of fat. Um, and that was you yeah, know that was a drop that was that was hard, and that did start to feel quite you know I felt like I was in prep at that point um and um, and that got me to week.
0: so I think anastasia people get it in their head that the sport of bodying bodybuilding sort of um lends itself to a bit of a food obsession, a sort of an obsessive. Uh, mentality around training and food in a negative way because of course the whole uh, sport itself is designed around executing a, a diet that gets you into this like perfect shape and of course to execute the training as well but there's always a bit of a negative spin attached to it whereas I feel like for you in your um, process it was much more clinical or, you, or the way you, you sort of approached your diet was not the obsessive way with which people always hear about. Can you just chat a little bit about your mentality around the food and, and how you approached it?
1: I think any sport can lend itself to some destructive tendencies and high-level sport in general probably attracts Type personalities that are very much into uh, exercising control over their body, mm-hmm. over their day, and um, to comment a little bit on what kind of I think the general perception is. I'm not surprised that every bodybuilder seems seems obsessive to people, but I think the standards of what people find obsessive are quite low. (laughs) Um, So, you know, people get a little bit um, judgmental of the fact that, for example, bodybuilders have to weigh their food. And I always look at it this way, if, if you were looking at a high-level Olympic weightlifter, they don't just come into the training hall and go, oh, just, just throw some weights on the bar. It's all just going to get heavy, right? Mm-hmm. We would expect a high-level Olympic weightlifter to have a plan and adhere to that plan to the kilogram, Right. Um, you know, they're going to walk around looking for fractional plates and um, they're going to go, okay, I need a 0.25 kg plate. And you're not going to turn around and go, well, that's a little bit obsessive, isn't it? There's like a 1.25 in there. Why don't you use that? And I think if you look at um, kind of bodybuilding in a similar way, it's just a different um kind of grade of what you were trying to achieve. Um, If you were kind of losing weight um, for you know a school, high school reunion, you would expect a certain amount of adherence. Um, If you were losing weight for your wedding, you probably expect a slightly higher level of adherence. Um, If you were losing weight Um, you know, for a bodybuilding competition the adherence is just high because the stakes are higher and it is a lot harder when it comes to um, the level of weakness that is required for the stage so there's just a kind of a word on on this Um, again, you know, think of any other sport, you know, if you're a high level runner you know that You're going to have your program set out. You know what pace you need to do on any particular day. You know how much you expect it to run. And it may seem obsessive and, oh, my goodness, she's up and running at 5 a.m. Well, guess what? That's what she has to do to achieve the goals that are set out Mm -hmm. in the sport. Um, And I think it would help people understand bodybuilding a little bit better if they kind of thought of it through any other sport lens. That said, I do believe that bodybuilding does attract people who potentially come into the sport with a history of eating disorders and um, poor relationship with food. And it's unfortunate and um, I think it can help some people, but depending on the practices that they're engaging with, uh, whether they have a um, an, an educated coach, they may get into a bit of trouble. So for me personally, um, I didn't come into competing in order to improve my relationship with my body. I think when it gets tied in with your self-body image, it can become a little bit tricky. Um, I don't think you should enter a body com- bodybuilding competition going, oh, this will provide me the motivation to lose weight. Yeah. Don't do that <laughs> because that's not the carrot that will help you lose weight. Um, you need to be able to have the skills to manipulate your body weight way before you get to um, competing and the thing to remember as well is that the body that you get at the competing level at the stage lean level is not what I would call uh, an attractive body. And it's a little bit hard when people see those pictures on the internet and, you know, they see YouTube videos. Trust me, in real life, it doesn't look that flash. And and it doesn't feel that great either. It's not a vibrant, healthy body. You are putting yourself on the limit. You are on the edge. And this is the the part that I think that people don't understand. They go, Oh, why are you pushing this hard? And you go, well, that's the whole point. I am pushing. I'm, I'm doing this hard thing for the sake of doing this hard thing. And, um, you know, people would say, Oh, this doesn't even look attractive. Well, that's not the point. I'm not doing this to look attractive to you or you or you or anybody else. Um, you're doing this to criteria of your particular division and the criteria might mean that you have to get past the point where it looks attractive in real life. But it's only for the stage. I am not planning on staying this weight. Um the feedback that I got from my first show was to get leaner in my lower body. Um, so I'll be getting leaner. So you saw me ten days ago. I was pretty lean. I'm leaner today than I was ten days ago, and I still have to get leaner for the stage. And I'm not planning on keeping this body. I'm really looking forward to putting some weight back on and uh, getting up to my kind of a healthy range. Um, so that's just, I think, is important. And the way that I look at it is that the body that you get at the end of the prep is not the reward. The effort that what you're there is the reward. That's what we are left at, you know. And the, the body is almost like a byproduct. And I think if more people looked at it this way, both competitors and the people who are kind of observers of the sport, it would make it for a more, kind of a a clinical the way that you described it sport where you're just trying to see what this machine can do you know can really do and it almost takes me back to the um, bodybuilding and a physics sport of a hundred years ago and the reason why um you know they were so popular is what can we do? What can this machine do what this this thing that you know we're inhabiting? you know can we make it look like an anatomy chart, and what does it take to get there um so that's kind of my personal approach to it so um that pretty much guides how I look at food, how I look at training, how I look at my kind of mindset. Um, much has been made of how hangry you get in prep and how much of a suffer fest it is and how you're grumpy and all of that. I don't feel like I'm any of those things because um, I think I'm really privileged in, in doing this. This is Kind of fun. I mean, it does feel hard on a daily basis, but I do remind myself that I choose to do this. I can eat at any moment, right? I can choose to give this up and, you know, go drown my sorrows in a, you know, bucket of ice cream. Um, But I choose not to because the process is more important to me. So um, I think. That's probably the thing that guides a lot of um, a lot of my decisions, and which is why it probably felt. I don't want to say easy because that's probably insulting to a lot of kind of people who are finding it hard. Um, it isn't easy, but um, it's still a fun process.
0: Yeah, and you know, I really, um, I remember during your prep, you said that you weren't, and and you mentioned it there, and and you said it another way, but you weren't attached to the body, to your body and the way that it looked, and I feel like that's such an important piece of it, because I feel like an attachment to some unsustainable physique can then lead to um, some of those uh, behaviours that can lead to eating disorders right and I'm not necessarily just thinking under eating but the binging that can occur and then the and then the emotional trauma of actually getting back to what should be a a healthy normal weight but you're sort of um stuck in this cycle of feeling terrible for it because you're not at that peak fitness and I feel like uh that's something which um, I imagine a lot of people up in the sport probably had that same mentality and that's why they're able to compete and then go off-season, compete again and really sort of treat it like the sport it is and not like it's this 18-week, I don't know, plan to get uh, yeah, your beach yeah, or something. Yeah, it's
1: not kind of a, a get-sexy scheme. <laughs> It's probably the worst way of of getting to your dream body because it is really restrictive. It's more restrictive than is necessary for general population. And you can certainly extrapolate a lot of lessons to kind of a Gen pop diet, but I would still caution anybody. Um, who is trying to do this as a transformation because it's not necessary. You don't, you don't need that. If you want to, like, lose weight for health reasons, you don't need to diet for six months nonstop. Trust me. It's yeah. not necessary. And you will get into things like food focus. And I have to say, you know, sort of last um, sort of six weeks, um, have been, uh, you know, quite difficult, and I'm on still on low calories despite doing a show last week um, because I've got um, more competing plans uh, coming up, so I still still have to stay. We still have to lose more fat, um, and you know, despite that, I think I still try to stay quite positive. About the process, mm. um, but if this was a Gen Pop kind of a, you know, a patient of mine or client of yours, I would have told them to go into maintenance four months ago, um, because there's there's no need to um, kind of be quite as restrictive if what you're looking for is health Um, I'm kind of past the point where I'm looking at health just like any other sport right you know you you start uh, running for health but once you get to a, a certain level in the running sport the health probably does take a step back a little bit because you are pursuing now a sport goal
0: yeah, totally, and um, and I know I'm looking at our time, and I know we've only got a few minutes left. But I'm what I would love to um, just really briefly chat about is what well. well bit of a story sort of like when you had more carbs and you added in I don't know I think more rice cakes and more oats or something and I'm like why are you not having something like really delicious and you had a good reason for not necessarily introducing some super tasty food and I, I feel like um just sharing a little bit of of your approach there Anastasia could be super helpful for people who are interested in competing and how they might approach their food
1: yeah, I think it's actually one of those things that can be taken to a, a general population diet. Um, I am a big fan of flexible dieting approach. As you know, I think people should be educated on uh, macros, macronutrients, should be educated on calories and um, uh, kind of learn how to ne- negotiate kind of their diet But on the other hand, uh, I think you've got to be really careful with too much flexibility. Um, And the way that I always put it is make your diet plain because you will enjoy it. Um, When you're hungry, when you're truly hungry in a deficit, those rice cakes, Mickey, they taste delicious. (laughs) everything tastes delicious at the moment. So you don't actually need to kind of spike your dopamine um, quite as much. And you do need to be aware of the fact that um, you want to stay as satiated as possible. So the more fun things you introduce, sort of the harder it becomes because you're probably not as satiated and um, they probably don't last you quite as long. Potatoes are actually a Fantastic diet food because uh, they're not that high in calories. Um, Mm. They're quite filling. They're very satiating. They have a really, really high satiety index. So um, I currently have potatoes in my diet, which only has currently 120 grams of carbohydrates per day, but I have potatoes every day um, because I just find them so satiating for my lunch meal. So um, so when you're dieting, make it plain because you're going to enjoy it because you're going to be hungry. When you are doing a muscle-gain diet or a bulking diet, this is where you actually have to spice it up a little bit because those plain potatoes, you just don't want to eat them. You just can't even look at them. So you start introducing probably a little bit more fun foods um, just because you need to keep the calories going.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's such a good point as well because we, you know, often we put food on that pedestal, you know, of, of oh, I've got a free meal, so I'm going to eat whatever I like and we plan it and it's, you know, and and you plan to be like, it's gonna bring you all this joy, but often, actually, when you go into it with this mindset, and I talk to my people on Mondays Matter about this all the time, is it's actually just a bit of a disappointment as well. Sort of like, ah, oh, that wasn't what I expected it to be. My gut didn't respond well. And I'm actually, you know, I'm, I didn't get the joy and satisfaction that I sort of desired. And I I really like how you've described that because then you don't get this real, desire to then go and eat more and you feel hungrier because you've had that huge like um dopamine hit and for a lot of people sugar hit as well
1: yeah oh I get a lot of joy out of my potatoes I can tell you that (laughs) 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 no I I I like all of my meals I really look forward to them I like my oats um I like uh sort of my egg white pancakes I don't recommend to anybody who's not really on a restrictive diet to have them because they don't taste that nice but they taste amazing to me um so yeah I think that's kind of um kind of important the other thing that I would say is that a lot of people feel like thinking about food is a failure and there is a little bit of shame associated with a degree of food focus and I would just be straight with you guys that when you are dieting hard you will be food focused. you will be a little bit obsessed with food um you would look at food and it will you know ping that dopamine and there is nothing wrong with that. This is just a natural response. You shouldn't really be feeling like that when you're in maintenance. In maintenance, you just have like a a very kind of a benign relationship with food, isn't it? Where you're just like, oh yeah, I'm hungry. I can have that. Oh, I'm not hungry. I'm not really interested. But when you're dieting, there's no shame in that. It is... Uh, a very well described phenomena and was first described in Minnesota starvation experiments and it doesn't make you a failure Um, it's just a hurdle that you have to get over and it's just something that you kind of have to manage and live with so for myself I don't kind of look at a new food porn I try to stay away at anything that's going to really um, make me crave more uh, but you can't help it yeah I'm like hungry 24 7 I want to eat 24 7 but you know it is it is what it is and I've chosen to do this um it makes me think of um Uh, my Russian grandmother, used to follow Lent, which is a fairly long, fast, um, Orthodox Christian fast in spring. And it's brutal. If you ever looked at what Lent is and what you're supposed to eat and not eat for weeks on end, um, it is really, really harsh. And she did it every year. So I I kind of feel that we've lost that relationship with our hunger. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to be hungry from time to time. You shouldn't be hungry on a daily basis, it's, you know, especially if you are got performance goals and, you know, you are an active athlete. I'm not advocating for that. But I also don't think we should be scared of it. Um, and if your particular goal involves losing weight, there is no way to do it without feeling hungry. And we can minimize it, and you have, you know, lots of um, amazing strategies to try to minimize it and and manage it. But the reality is, you will feel hungry, and you will be a little bit food focused, and it's just part of the journey and it will go away once you start eating at maintenance and it certainly goes away when you're starting doing muscle gain
0: oh for sure now Anastasia we're coming up on time but obviously you took out your divisions at the um now quickly tell me what your, was it the World Bodybuilding Natural Federation what is that WBNS? So
1: WNBS World Natural Bodybuilding Federation. It's the biggest natural federation in the world. Fairly new here in New Zealand. Um, So I won the overall in two divisions, actually. ended up entering two because I didn't know where I fitted in and was lucky to win the overall uh, champion in figure and in set body. Um, and my next step is uh, WNBF uh, competition in Brisbane, which is three weeks from now where I'll be travelling. And because I won the overall in New Zealand, I was invited to compete at WNBF Worlds as an amateur athlete. And that will be in Seattle, on the 18th and 19th of November, so that would be my last show of the season, and it is now six weeks away. So, like I said, you keep working, um, head down, bum up,
0: yeah, and just do your thing. And I think you know it makes so much sense that you get into shape for this one show. That you're then going to continue on and do Brisbane and, and, of course, Worlds. And it is, like you say, you're lucky to have come first, which I think it's just a testament to the hard work and focus that you've talked to us about um, that's gotten you to that position. So I don't think it's luck. Um, now, I know people can follow along with your journey. Um, where can they find you on the internet, Anastasia?
1: Um, I have chosen to be fairly transparent and open about it and uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram where I put most of my updates and my username is ArcticFox_ underscore and bid. Yeah come and follow and that yeah, is
0: awesome know, really yes absolutely and i i think that they have like live updates on the shows when they're on as well um from the instagram handle too so we will pop both of them in the show notes and and get this out prior to brisbane so um we can see how you did anastasia thank you so much i got I think i Asked, I think we talked about maybe four or five of those 18 questions that I sent you through. So, um, so many more topics to talk about, but I think this was a great start.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Mickey.
0: All right team, hopefully you really enjoyed that and best of luck to Anastasia for this weekend. Um, It will be the end of quite a long um, but very successful first season for her. Uh, Next week on the show, I sit down and chat to Dr. Grant Tinsley who is also into strength and conditioning, being a friend of Eric Helms, but we in fact talk about intermittent fasting protocols and what we know about the science. So I think that anyone obviously interested in that space will wanna be tuning into that. Uh, Until then though, you can catch me over on Instagram threads and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, or head to my website, mickeywillardin.com, sign up to Mondays Matter. You have just a few more days because if you're listening to this on Wednesday, Mondays Matter kicks off Monday the 20th of November. It is short, it is sharp, but it is everything that a Mondays programme provides, giving you structure so you can have freedom over the Christmas period. So would love to see you there and we'll obviously have links in the show notes as well. Until next week, guys, have a great week. See you later.